Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels once again. This is Gospels part 134. Last week we saw where Jesus was moved from the former high priest Annas' private quarters to the current high priest's private quarters, uh, Caiaphas, where this unlawful trial is happening in the middle of the night trying to bring some kind of charge against Jesus in order to sentence him to death. And you have this barrage of people. The text shows that some are bearing false witness about him, and then we kind of hinted or inferred that there were others that maybe were coming to Jesus's defense and saying that his words were true and that he never suggested that he himself was going to destroy the temple and build another one without hands. It's um, possible. Yeah. Um, and Jesus still remains silent um, yeah. until they ask him point blank, like, are you the Christ, the Son of God, or another account, the Son of the Blessed? And he it's, again, it's another one of those kind of hintings of the I am statements. But what they get so bent out of shape on is when he says that he's going to be at the right hand of power coming down with the clouds of heaven. That yeah. <laughs> Being at the right hand of power and coming down is reserved for God alone <laughs> in these people's eyes. And they tore their clothes and shouted blasphemy and said that they had all that they needed to charge him. Yeah. And I don't want to interrupt too much, but this is something that happened in my brain. And so the way that you said that, I thought maybe it happened in yours or maybe some of the listeners or whatever. These I am statements, remember, on one hand, we, we're focusing on a theme that John has worked into his gospel. And so people count them differently. We went with the number 10. There were 10 I am statements in John. But this, the one that you mentioned, the I am statement, these are in the synoptic gospels. And this is no hint. This is like, I am. Yeah. It was definitive, undeniable, unambiguous, whatever. So, sorry, I, just throwing that out there in case. No, you're 100% correct. I, I That language was coming from the confusion of the, the difference between John's versus the synoptics yeah, in the too. order. Yeah, not too much more. I mean, while all this is happening, the the text showcases Peter's journey of his denials of his master with these people servant girls coming up to him seeming to recognize him as one of his students from the galilee even in his voice um and eventually he does deny a third time and that rooster crows and he goes away weeping bitterly yeah but it was interesting that is juxtaposed with judas's story right after that where after all of this happens and Jesus gets arrested and in some ways Judas gets what he wants, he kind of comes to his senses and realizes like, oh my goodness, I have like sentenced this innocent man to death and he wants to take yeah. the money back. And they like, what is that to us? Like, 
it's out of our hands now and he you know he says that he has sinned and he runs away and is he can't overcome his sorrow for his decision the the defining moment of his life and he winds up taking his own life and we just have this parallel between peter's story was not the end with his greatest mistake he was able to like reset his story and for judas it wasn't but we we argue that there was true repentance in that moment for judas and we should give him credit for that yeah don't know what that means before god but you know just reading the story from the outside it's like come on just just be you know sort of honest and and fair he had a moment and it still didn't end well yeah that was good that that especially comparing the defining moments peter and judas that was your thing that was so awesome this is good stuff so now but we're in the middle of this really big story and and this is like you know the big climactic part of the story and all that so let's go on uh we're going to look at luke chapter 23 verse 1 and John chapter 18, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to head and read from John because he's got more detail. What's going on here? Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? I just find that whole thing amazing. So think about this. We're, we're moving now from Caiaphas's house to Pilate's headquarters. Now, most likely, we, we actually, I don't think that this is something that we know for sure, but most likely... Herod Antipas has his Jerusalem sort of palace or whatever you want to call it, had multiple wings. And and a lot of scholars think that Pilate was simply occupying one wing of Herod's palace, which is interesting because they really didn't like each other, etc. But whatever, they, they get to Pilate's headquarters, wherever that is. And it's still very early in the morning. Uh, just to kind of go back to the text, they've just told us that the sun had come up, and then they did a little sidestep and told us about Judas. So still very early in the morning. Now, remember, these accusers, they're probably still wanting to move quickly. They've got uh, Jews from all over. They're they're in the city for the Passover, and many either in and around uh, the Galilee, Israel, Jerusalem, etc., or those coming from far away, they love and support Jesus. And so they kind of got to get this taken care of before word gets out. And then also, we're going to read more about this later, but there's this thing where Pilate, he he's sort of got this tradition where he releases a prisoner on Passover, Passover Eve, whatever. Uh, and so a lot of people are going to be showing up for that at Pilate's headquarters for that as well. And so they're, they, they're trying to get all this stuff in before it gets too busy and all that kind of stuff. So And then also remember, depending on which gospel account you read, this could be the day of the Passover sacrifices. It would be Passover Eve. They're going to sacrifice them right at the end of the day. Remember, the day ends at sundown, and then you start a new day. So it's it's right at the end of that day. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And of course, you know, these guys that are condemning him, accusing him, whatever, they're going to want to participate in all this stuff. So it's a big, big 
big story. Now, Luke tells us that it was the whole company of them. Again, we go back to, well, I mean, is it really the entire council? Is it just those who voted against him? It, it appeared as though maybe they had met without the whole deal, and then later they had the whole deal, or maybe not. We can't tell. But you might look at this and you go, well, you know, just in and of themselves, they make a pretty decent-sized crowd. And then, of course, remember Judas had had started all this stuff, bringing him from the garden, and, and he had, they described it as a cohort. Samuel, do you remember mm-hmm. what that number, rep, or what? Uh, cohort represented in terms of numbers was it like 400 or something 600 okay it's a big number now we also talked about we we seriously doubted it was a full cohort but but the 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 word was used to give the idea that hey this that's a large number so even if it's only these guys nobody else from israel involved it's going to be a pretty decent sized crowd and then (laughs) i don't know i find this rather shocking after all that they had just done to violate Torah and violate their own traditions just so they could put Jesus to death or condemn him to death, maybe we should say. I mean, and we that was such a big list. Remember that, Samuel? They were just way out of bounds. But now, all of a sudden, they're worried about becoming unclean before they eat the Passover. And so because of that, they won't enter this Gentile's house or building or whatever it is, Pilate's place. And it's just, okay, that just seems hypocritical, yeah. convenient. Something, just, it's, these guys, they're, they're, I don't know, they bug me. Being but, an actor. That's right. That's right. Now, amazingly, with an early morning crowd of Jews at his place, Pilate, and, and again, it's probably a wing of Herod, uh, Herod's palace, Pilate comes out to meet them, presumably so that they can stay clean. I I just find that amazing. And he quickly reads the situation, and he asks what I think is the only relevant question that he could, okay, what is it that this man is being charged with? He just wants to get right to the heart of the story. So that's that bit. Samuel, got anything? Yeah, just really quickly, the focus of the becoming unclean or defiled nature that these people are harping on, it's the issue is with them stepping foot into a Gentile's house. That's what yeah. makes them ritually unclean. Yeah, and it's, it's okay, couple things. It's not in Torah. It had become a tradition, so it's something that came from the Sanhedrin somewhere along the way. Uh, and you'll remember this from like Peter's story when he he sees the vision of the blanket and whatever, mm-hmm. and then he goes and and there the big st- you ate with Gent- you were in their house right, so it's a very real thing and and some of it is kind of understandable because there was a bit of a cultural thing where they would actually keep the dead the Gentiles would keep the dead in their house. Now I don't know what that looked like. I'm I'm pretty sure it was something on the lines of. They buried them. They did, you know, like some amount of time thing, and then they would put them in a box. Like we've talked about the ossuaries and different things. So it may have been something like that. Like if you had someone cremated and you had the urn at your house or something of that nature, they didn't want to be defiled because of something dead. But that was only a part of it. They really just, you know, a lot of it was just, nope, Gentiles are unclean. We are not going there. So yeah, anything else? Nope. Okay. Yeah, that's a. Uh, 
it's a weird thing. But if if I don't know what we're going to do next, how this is all going to look. But if we're in the book of Acts and we talk about Peter's story, that'll be a big part of that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, if we move on, it, we're just going to stick in John now. So we're going to look at chapter 18, verses 30 to 32. They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Okay. So first, <laughs> they begin, you know, they're going to assure Pilate, don't worry, we are not wasting your time. I mean, if this weren't a real bad guy, we wouldn't have bothered you. The thing is, Pilate, okay, he's not going to care about blasphemy. That's sort of like underneath this. What did these guys do at the end of the trial? I mean, the thing that really set them off was blasphemy. I mean, Caiaphas tore his robes and all these things, but that wasn't going to work with Pilate. They were going to have to come up with something else to convince him. And so you can kind of hear it. Oh, don't worry. We're not wasting your time. It's almost like they're still calculating what their story's going to be. <laughs> but long story short, Pilate, you know what? He's honestly, he's just not convinced or amused, and maybe, probably, he sees right through them. They they probably don't even have a real case from Rome's perspective. And so, he just kind of blows them off. You know what? Just go take care of this yourselves. Judge him by your own law. I don't want to deal with this. Get out of here, kid. You bug me. So the Jews are quick to clarify. Oh, we did that already. But we can't put anyone to death. You know, under your rule, remember? I, I and I don't know this, Samuel. I read it at like in just a spot or two, so I don't I don't have a lot of support for this. But it could be that Pilate was the one who actually took away from them their ability to put someone to death. But don't take that too seriously. I, I just you know, it could be right, could be wrong, whatever. Now, here's the other thing though, Samuel. Think about this. They're asking him to put someone to death. And we just need to note that technically they could have gotten permission from him to put him to death themselves. Hey, we went through our court. We, we've condemned him to death, but we can't do it. There were two choices. Will you please kill him for us or will you please give us permission to go ahead with it? in which case they would have stoned him instead of crucified him. But they wanted Rome to do it, which that was now going to be crucifixion instead of stoning. Why did they want that, Samuel? Take a guess. Um, I guess it would take the focus away from them as the ones who were orchestrating it and put it on Rome. Exactly. They wanted the cover. They wanted to be able to point at them. Now, it's only marginally useful because obviously they're the ones that condemned him in the first place, but they preferred that Rome carried it out. They didn't want to do it themselves. So that's, I mean, that's a thing. Got to keep that in mind. And then as John often does, that final verse, John takes a moment to show that Jesus had predicted this entire thing. 
Now, if we look at John's gospel specifically, okay, it isn't the greatest quote in the world, but we do have, uh, if you went back to John chapter 12 and you read verses 32 and 33, it does, and I think very specifically, address this thing. But for my money, the synoptics have a clearer and more precise quote Uh, You could look at Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34, or the one I'm going to have you read part of, Samuel, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. So listen to what Jesus said like a while ago. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. (laughs) Okay. If you need detail, that is amazing. Now, to be fair, Jesus supposedly said this, you know, just say somewhere around 30 A.D. or Common Era, and this was probably written... 20, 25, 30 years later. But if we trust these Gospels to be an eyewitness account and they're relating what really happened, this, this is amazing. Totally amazing. And it shows, you know, what John was talking about that, hey, he really did predict every single bit of this. And it's, it's awesome. So anything there, Samuel? Yeah, just um, the statement that you made that they they wanted Rome to do it by means of crucifixion the these unlawful chief priests and scribes who were wanting to put him to death I don't think the text yet has said to crucify him yet but is it just assumed like was was crucifixion kind of exclusively the main public way that Rome was putting people to death like there there really wasn't an option B or C yeah yeah I the could there have been some sort of option B or C? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, if you were putting numbers on it, you'd go, yeah, 99.9% of the time, if it's death, it's crucifixion, right? Gotcha. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know at this point that they had any particular affinity toward, oh, we want him to be crucified instead of stoned. It wasn't anything like that. They just... If they were going to do it, it was going to be stoning. If Rome was going to do it, it was going to be crucifixion. All that they really cared about is that Rome did it instead of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Anything else? Mm-mm. Okay. This is pretty exciting stuff, Sam. It's a good part of the story. Oh, yeah. There's a lot we're looking at here, and we're actually going to read a fairly long bit. So this is Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. So that was short. Uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 2, also short. Luke chapter 23, verse 3, short. But then John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Here we go. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews. And I'm actually going to stop right there, save that last tiny little bit for a little later in the story. Uh, so that was that's all interesting. I do want to add a little something from Matthew just to represent the synoptics. Matthew said this, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. I just wanted to include that because we've talked about that phrase before. We'll address it again. Real quickly, just to note, uh, I've again, I'm messing with Luke and his sequence. I've, I've switched the sequence of a couple verses just so all of the Gospels line up a little easier. So there's that. Uh, but first, notice, Jesus is inside Pilate's quarters. So, not that it really matters in this story, but just to note, he is now considered ritually unclean. <laughs> of course, that probably only be relevant if you think uh, his death has any literal connection to the Levitical sacrificial system, which, I mean, you know what? Actually, let's, let's say that. Uh, talk about that a little more, Samuel. A lot of people miss the metaphor of Jesus being a sacrifice. Now, there's, there's a very literal part of that, but that has to do with the heavenly temple. And there's the metaphorical part, which is relating to the, the earthly temple, the Levitical system, all of that. So if you think something more literal, like his death was the final sacrifice in the Levitical system, or that his death is somehow relevant in the Levitical system, well, here's the first little chink in your armor. He is ritually unclean right now. And that is going to wreak havoc on could he be some sort of literal sacrifice. But that's enough about that. Let's go on. Pilate, uh, he isn't playing around. He just, he again, he wants to get right to the point. Are you the king of the Jews? Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus answers directly. And that's that phrase, you have said so. We talked about that. Maybe it was last episode or before. That's just, uh, it's kind of like the idiomatic way of saying you are correct. So, there's that. Now, in John, Jesus, eh, maybe he isn't quite so compliant. He asks Pilate, hey, are you asking this for your own sake or on your own uh, initiative or whatever? Or are you asking, you know, on behalf of, of my accusers? And Pilate, <laughs> all right, he's not amused. He reminds <laughs> Jesus that he isn't a Jew, it's his own people that have handed him over. And so, again, I get the sense that he's a little perturbed. Why did you not answer my question? He asks again, what is it that you've done? And then, interestingly, Jesus goes right back to his first question and answers that. 
And it's an amazing but kind of strange answer. He says, my kingdom isn't of this world. And I would like to insert yet. And, and, and like right there, that's the part. My kingdom isn't of this world. So that's where Pilate gets it. So he is a king of some sort. But then he says this, since I'm outside my realm, my servants cannot or will not, I'm not sure which is right there, but they won't fight for me here. And that is simply to say that that is what is appropriate. They will not deliver me. Now, we know, having gone through the rest of the story and time passing and all that, we know that he will one day conquer this world. It's just not yet. But Pilate, like you know, we were just pointing out, he picks up on the fact that he is indeed a king. But he probably also picked up on the non-threatening nature of this king or of this kingdom. So Jesus acknowledges uh you know that yeah uh, yeah pilot you're you're pretty much correct but then he clarifies but this is why i'm here outside my current proper realm it isn't for me to come and be a king right now it's for me to come and bear witness of the truth jesus can bear witness to the truth and, and we could look at truth as God himself. There's an old saying that the seal of God is truth. Jesus can bear witness because he has seen and experienced it firsthand. We know Jesus, he was in the heavenlies with God, and then he came down, and etc. He's going back. Jesus adds, and this is a good one, Samuel, everyone who is of the truth and we might turn that on a uh, turn that around and say everyone who is a true subject of his kingdom yeah so everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice they obey him as their king so this whole thing of you know if you're of the truth it's like you're you're from or out of or an extension of you're not separate from right so Jesus, I think that that is a really cool statement by Jesus, but Pilate, you know, he would have fit in today's culture very well. He, respond, he responds by asking, and what is truth? Well, it was standing right in front of him. He could have found out, like, for real, though, <laughs> but he didn't. And, and we can look back today and go, yeah, Jesus was that truth, we could understand it that way, but we can also look at it in the scriptures and his story and, and all of that. So, all right. What do you think of that part, Samuel? Anything? Yeah, uh, for sure. The first thing that was brought to my attention was at the very beginning of the section in John where Pilate, his first thing in the S, Jesus says, are you the king of the Jews? And at least in John's text where you know these people have brought Jesus to Pilate, and when he when Pilate asked him what accusation do you bring, they didn't say anything about him being the king of the Jews. So are we just going to infer that, in addition to them saying, you know, what did he say? If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. That there would have been shoutings 
exclamations at like this guy saying he's the king of the Jews. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you kind of have to make that assumption. Um, otherwise, you have to address the issue of, well, where would Pilate get it? Mm-hmm. And that really is what Jesus is asking right here. What, is this your question? You making this up? Or uh, is this something you uh, got from them? And Pilate's response is, well, am I a Jew? Mm-hmm. Your own nation and your priests have delivered him over. So it is funny that it isn't as explicit, uh, you know, as you're pointing out. But, yeah, I, th- I think you just kind of have to make the assumption. He got it from them, Yeah, uh, even though we don't see it. But it is interesting to think, though, if if this, you know, message of this gospel of Jesus throughout Jerusalem would have spread before this unlawful arrest happened that maybe word had gotten to Pilate about this right. Jewish rabbi that's claiming to be king of the Jews before this happened. Like, it, the seed may have been planted anyway beforehand. Yeah, and I think, I mean, what you're talking about, your question, it's, it's great because this is how we should be reading through our scriptures. You know, asking questions like that. Wait a second. Did they actually tell Pilate? Or did, I mean, did Pilate come to this on his own? I think it's a great question because in, you know, using the text, you know, you can see how maybe it leans in a direction. That's why I would say, yeah, you know, we probably make that assumption, but it doesn't say it. And so, you know, letting those alternate scenarios play in your mind. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's what we're intended to do with the scriptures. So it's good. It's good. Another thing... Pilate's response at the end of the section where he's asking what is truth. I know that there have been some scholars and people who are trying to wrestle with the text who try to, in this moment, give Pilate some benefit of the doubt to say that he that statement gives evidence that he's actually wrestling with the concept of what truth actually is. But, uh, I mean, that's an inference. We can't know, yeah. but... I'm just trying to paint those uh, those options. Like, is he actually considering this with this very poignant and convicting response that Jesus gave him, or is he like what you said? He's like, what what even is truth? Truth is whatever I decide it to be. Yeah. Um, that's I, it's difficult to figure out because I mean, isn't there is there stuff coming up later where he converses with his wife? Oh, yeah, that's coming up. Okay. Yeah, she sends him a note, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, I, you know, that's another interesting question. The thing that would be weird about that, if he really was seeking, it says, you know, Pilate says, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside. Well, I mean, that seems like a great opportunity for Jesus to explain what truth is, or, you know, maybe he should have stuck around for a minute to hear the answer or whatever. But, yeah, I, again, I think... You know what? It's there's nothing bad about playing these scenarios in your head. What would this have looked like? What would that have looked like? Could it mean this? Could it mean that? I think it all enriches our view of the scriptures. And even after doing that, you still may come back and go, "Nah, I think he was just kind of, you know, blowing it off. What is truth?" You know, but having examined it, you know, you have a a richer and and more detailed view of the the entire scene. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, for what it's worth, he, he he says at the end of verse 38 in John, he takes him back outside and says, like, I find no guilt in him. So, yeah, 
he at least goes that far in this in this current moment. Yeah, and the funny thing is, uh, well, I think that's coming up. But you know, he did just admit to Pilate that he was a king and had a kingdom. So it, it, we'll talk about that after we read this next bit. But that's something that should have really caught Pilate's ear. You know, that should have been a big deal. So let's go ahead and read the next part and see see what we got. Uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 27, verses 12 to 14. This is Mark chapter 15, verses 3 to 5, and Luke chapter 23, verse 2. Again, I kind of took that Luke verse out of order. But anyway, I'm going to read from Matthew. Actually, I might read Luke 2. Anyway, let's, uh, here's Matthew. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And I am going to read from Luke because he's the one that actually has the detail. Listen to this. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So now the chief priests and elders, I don't know, I think they're kind of, they're laying it on kind of thick. They, they give three reasons that should be of interest to Pilate. Number one, he's misleading our nation. And I think that this would fall into the category of sedition. Number two, he is forbidding Jews to give tribute to Caesar. And so we could call that something like tax evasion. And he is saying that he is a king, which, you know, that speaks of of somehow overthrowing the current king or Caesar or whatever, that, that would be revolution. Now, the first two items, I don't know if you noticed this, Samuel, they, they are outright lies. And no, it doesn't matter how many times you read it, it's just shocking that they would say it. he's misleading our nation. In what way did he do that? He was the only one speaking truth. He's forbidding Jews to give tribute to Caesar. He very specifically did not do that. But the third one, the third one, well, that one might have a little bit of weight. He's saying that he's a king. For what it's worth, okay, it was only on this very day that Jesus seems to have come out and said, okay, I'm ready to admit it now. I am king. And now, yes, it had come up with his little tight-knit group, whatever, but as a general rule through his ministry, all of the days leading up to this day, he kind of tried to hide or minimize that fact. But now he's coming out with it. And it also happened to be completely true. Now, here's the thing. Any one of these three charges, if it were taken seriously, if it were true or whatever, it would have warranted crucifixion. But Pilate is hearing all of this, but the thing that captures his attention above all else is that Jesus isn't even trying to defend himself. He just remains silent. And Pilate you know, he's hearing all these charges that should be really like, oh my gosh, we got to kill this guy. But he's paying attention to Jesus. He's noticing. He's not defending. He prods him. Hey, dude, you should defend yourself. Something, right? But he won't do it. 
And Pilate is just amazed at this. And it's, it's almost like he's mesmerized by Jesus's behavior. But, you know, it's not enough that it's going to save him or anything. But, you know, it's kind of funny to see. Anything there, Samuel? Not too much other than just with you bringing up that him admitting that he was the king for the first time outside of his tight-knit group. I mean, we've we've talked in this podcast before about the concept of the two messiahs, the suffering servant and the conquering king, but it just it kind of hit me in a new way when you said that. It's like this whole time that we have been doing this podcast, we have been studying about the life of a king who in some ways has disguised himself from like uh, exercising his true authority in order for the sake of others and and even to get that king imagery here where like all of these crazy things that these people are are saying to this figure this individual who we are picturing as a king and the king not responding at all like the the highest form of of authority you can get in a kingdom and he right. is not defending himself like that's just that's kind of, that's a crazy picture yeah and that may be what you're describing is kind of the way Pilate was seeing it it's it is amazing it is amazing let's do this next little bit cuz it's so short and if you have anything else or time together whatever we'll do that this is from Luke chapter 23 verse 4 and I'm also throwing in that that final little half sentence from John chapter 18, verse 38 that I sort of ignored before just because it fits here. I'm going to go ahead and read from Luke. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Which, it's kind of crazy. The charges that they're bringing, you know, he has no real evidence before him. It's just what they're saying. And he's just going, you know what? I ain't buying it. So Pilate, he's heard all of their accusations. And this is important. He's even heard Jesus say that he is a king, just a king of another world, which who knows how Pilate's feeling about that. He's probably going, oh, this guy's hoo-hoo, right? Whatever. (laughs) But, But whatever it is, Pilate just ain't buying it. And you gotta think, it's at least possible that, you know, Pilate, he couldn't have been a stupid man, right? The position he was in. He was seeing the reality of this situation. This is just some innocent guy that had made the wrong people mad. And he just didn't want anything to do with it. I find no guilt in him. And also notice that Luke mentions the crowds. Remember how we talked about people were going to start gathering because they wanted Pilate to release a prisoner. It was a tradition on Passover, whatever. So it's possible that while all of this is going on, the crowds are starting to develop, not because they know anything about what's going on with Jesus, but because of the traditional, I'm going to release a prisoner thing. So the crowds at this point may in fact be growing. So anything else there, Samuel? No, no, I'm I'm already looking ahead at the next section. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's see what it says. This is in Luke uh, chapter 23, verses 5 through 7. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people. 
teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Okay, so now the chief priests, the elders, scribes, whoever, all that, and I don't know, maybe the crowds, I don't know if they're joining in or whatever, they're not going to accept this whole, I find no, you know, no, uh, what did he say? I find no guilt in this man, right? They, they, they keep on. Listen, he's, he's stirring up the people. And, and that might have caught Pilate's attention. I mean, Pilate, no, nobody wants a big uproar because that means you're not in control. So that could look bad. But then they say he's been doing this from Galilee to Jerusalem, all over Judea. Well, this was the break that Pilate had been looking for. He could just pass this whole mess off to someone else. So he verifies that Jesus is, in fact, a Galilean. And just going back a little bit on some other things we've said, apparently Pilate wasn't able to pick up on the accent. So, I mean, Jesus did speak. He didn't speak much, but he did speak. But anyway, it's perfect. He can just send him to Herod. That's Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea, who conveniently also happens to be in town. And I'm just going to add, he's probably just in a different wing of his palace. So (laughs) it's truly possible they could both be in the same building, just in different parts of it, and never really seeing each other, interacting with each other, or whatever. But anyway, from Pilate's perspective, problem solved. But of course, everybody kind of knows what's coming. Not entirely solved, but there you go. What you got there, Samuel? Yeah, uh, the first thing, that first statement that these people were saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place, that place being Jerusalem. I just want to, because we, we went to Israel just a few weeks ago, just to give you context of that, the distance that they are painting from let's just say Capernaum, where Jesus' headquarters would have been along the Sea of Galilee for the majority of his ministry to Jerusalem, that would have been a a two-and-a-half-hour car ride, 120 miles in distance, And if you're thinking of in their day of, like, walking. So, I don't know, that's, that's, that was a kind of a cool picture to hear them say that, even if they're in, they're in the wrong, but just to show that, that how far his teaching is spread in this area. Yeah. Man, that sounds really far. I'm looking at the maps going, yeah, that seemed closer. And then, of mm-hmm. course, we just had that experience when we were there. We were going, everything feels so much smaller, right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's a big area. It is a big area. Especially um, when you realize everyone at this time is just walking around on foot, mm-hmm. except, or, you know, maybe they've got a pack animal or something like that. Very, 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 very few would be riding on horses, uh, maybe a donkey here and there, whatever. But yeah. All right. The, I, I did have one more thing real quick. Yeah, do it. This Herod, Herod Antipas, that I just clarifying, 
that's not the same Herod that we see all the way back in the Nativity, like in Matthew right. 2, um, right. but it is like one of his descendants, sons. sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Herod the Great was back then, and then okay. three of his sons ruled over different areas that right. used to belong all to the dad, and so Herod Antipas has the Galilee, Perea area. Yeah, but that yeah. that is a to me, and I think Marty Solon brings this is, brings this up in one of his Bema podcasts. Like the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation is a tale of two kingdoms. You've got the kingdom of empire, you know, choosing your own will over God's, which leads to destruction and oppression. You've got the kingdom of Shalom, which is hearing. God's voice, God's instruction, and letting that rule you to peace and yeah. mercy, compassion. And Herod is the epitome of the empire. kingdom of empire, and Jesus is the epitome of the kingdom of shalom. Yeah. And here, like at the beginning of Jesus's life, you have the two of them together, so to speak, when Herod is like hearing about this birth and he's trying to oh, right. find yeah. him and kill him. And here at the end, they're brought together once again in the same city, in the same space, like yeah. in as Jesus is walking to his death. Like I don't know, that's just that's yeah. really really cool to me. Yeah, it is amazing pictures, amazing parallels. It's all so good. All right, so let's see what what happens between them. This is now. This is only in Luke chapter twenty three, verses eight through twelve. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then Arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Okay, so, it's a funny thing. Pilate, you know, he's like, whew, escape hatch, send him to Herod, whatever. Well, Herod's actually glad, excited about it. He'd heard all about this Jesus guy. In fact, for a long time, he'd wanted to arrest him himself. And here's the thing. Ever since John the Baptist had been killed. But still, he also wanted to see him because he wanted to see him do something, perform some sort of sign or miracle or whatever. Now, I don't know. I can't even remember how far back this was. It's been quite a while. But the earlier gospel accounts, they had given us, you know, different insight into Herod's curiosity. Uh, and it ranged. I mean, like some of it was just kind of like a, a childlike curiosity. That would be the one that says, ooh, do a trick for me. But it also went all the way to something like a fear that he had. And he, he was afraid that this Jesus might be John the Baptist reincarnated. Which, you know, from Herod's perspective, he might be trying to get me back. Now, I know it sounds kind of weird. I mean, Jesus was a grown man. They were practically the same age, all that kind of stuff, but reincarnated, whatever. But it was Herod. That was the way he looked at it. So anyway, he was glad to see him. And so he questions him at length. 
But Jesus apparently just doesn't say a word. Now, the chief priests and the scribes, apparently they've followed along, you know, the whole little entourage. They're like continuing with all of their accusations, and, and Luke describes it as vehemently. I mean, they were, they were really trying to get Herod to go along. Now, remember, Herod wants to be king of the Jews himself. Remember, Herod fancies himself a good Jew, which, um, you know, history is clear that he was not, but he thinks he is. But he, he's trying to get something. He can't get Jesus to talk. These guys won't shut up. But like any bully worth his salt, <laughs> he has to mistreat him. And, he, you know, he gets, I don't know how much he's actually doing himself, gets his soldiers or whoever to do it. But they're treating him with contempt. They are mocking him. The thing is, Jesus is king of the Jews. That is fact. Herod wants to be king of the Jews. That's his fantasy. But they are treating the the real honest-to-goodness king, they are treating him as someone who is low, someone who is beneath them. And, of course, the reality is the exact opposite. Like an empire would do. Exactly. Exactly. So... Anyway, Herod, I don't know, I guess he grows bored. He's, he's had enough. He dressed, this is kind of, kind of funny. He dressed up this lowly good-for-nothing, as he sees it. He dresses him up like a king. The, the, the theory is that he's actually used some of his own attire to dress Jesus up. And so this clothing, this clothing was probably extravagant. It was probably expensive. The words that are used here makes it sound like it was shiny. His, his outfit was shining, which I don't know. That's kind of appropriate for a heavenly king, right? So, so he probably thought that his sarcasm and the irony of all of this was pretty funny. But it was also unintentionally super appropriate and super fitting that, that, Herod is dressing Jesus in this kingly, kingly attire. But he sends Jesus back to Pilate in his new clothing because there's nothing for him to do. He can't even get anything out of him. And should we get the picture real quick that Jesus is just like surrendering, like not pushing back at all in like opening his arms to accept the clothing in the same way that he is silent? He just... yeah just takes, takes just it takes it all wow yeah and this this is the result of the garden god i do not want to go through with this but when he knows that's it this is what i'm doing he's all in and like you pointed out in an earlier episode very recent he's continuing to give in to god's will over his own mm. Do you think as a human, there's not some part of him that's going, I would really like to slap you right now? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not literally, but you get the idea. I'm sure as a human, there is some part of this that's humiliating and irritating and bothersome. But yeah, I think he's just taking it all like a lamb led to slaughter. Hmm. So for what it's worth, Pilate, he seems to sort of gotten the joke that, that Herod dressed him up, and, and I think he seems to really appreciate the joke. Uh, in fact, he likes it so much, somehow between Pilate sending 
sending Jesus to Herod, and Herod sending him back, and Herod doing the clothing joke and all this. But he likes it so much, these two men, Pilate and Herod, who, who had not liked each other before this moment, well, all of a sudden, they become quick friends, right? They, yeah, uh, maybe he's not so bad. I like this guy. They had been maneuvering against one another for years, and suddenly, they're buds. And so, you know, even even like the final thing, this recognition uh, well, first, there's recognition of Herod's jurisdiction. I think that kind of, you know, sort of tickled tickled Herod a little bit. That was a good thing. And then uh, seeing this distasteful joke and actually liking it, thing it's funny. Where all of this together, it's healed the rift. And just this, just like a personal side note for me. I, I read about this stuff. I see the way they're behaving, all this kind of stuff, and and I also think about how I've seen people behave just over the course of my life. And admittedly, we all know part of imaging God is loving your fellow man. In fact, you cannot love God if you do not love your fellow man. But I would just like to point out that, you know what? It's not easy. Our fellow men can be quite (laughs) offensive. And so you read stuff like this and you, you you want to... You want to hate them. And and I get that. And I think on one hand, it's good that we acknowledge it because guess what? We're human. But we also need to acknowledge somehow, some way, we have to be more like God and love all men, even when they're acting like this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's that. Anything you, what do you got, Samuel? Yeah, I just, I really like this detail that you brought up here at the end about Herod, or Pilate seems to have gotten Herod's joke with the clothing because it, to me, that it's kind of an indicator that maybe what I was wrestling with in the previous section about is Pilate actually considering what truth is for his life and re- like reality itself. If 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 he's participating in Herod's antics in this way and that bridged a gap between them, I think that's pretty telling that he. He's not as much uh, really considering this as something serious in terms of implications for physical and spiritual sense. So, yeah, I, and yeah. I'd never. Well, that, that's that verse itself. I've bypassed, like, or just not picked up on in previous reading. So, being able to notice it in a different way, and then you bringing that detail is really cool. Well, the thing is, and I guess I'm. this is a little bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to talk about this more probably in the next episode. But going through this, it's amazing to me how Pilate and Herod, they don't seem ridiculous and unreasonable. I mean, they're, they're kind of going through this whole thing, and they're just like, what is up with you guys? Why are you picking on this poor little Jewish guy? You know, mm-hmm. they they seem like, well, I don't know. I'm sure they had their bad side, but this doesn't seem all that bad, really. And it's going to get even more complicated with Pilate as we see more of his interaction. But just to just to put this out there, and again, we'll we'll say it again later. Pilate and Herod were bad men. Mm. <laughs> And and we don't need to try to hedge anything or whatever. They were bad guys. There is no question about that. Yeah. But it is interesting knowing that 
and seeing how this story is working out, how, gosh, they don't even look all that bad compared to what some of the Jewish leaders and elders, et cetera, were doing. So yeah. that's a thing as well. Yeah. But, but little hints like that showcase the hidden rottenness that's within them. Yeah. And you never know. I mean, again, the, the, these writers were really good storytellers. It is even possible to think it was written this way so that even against Pilate and Herod, these Jewish chief priests, scribes, elders, whoever, look really bad, mm. right? So, they, yeah, that, they may have done that on purpose. I don't know. But dang it, we're out of time. Shucks. Yeah, we got to stop because... Well, and it's, I mean, it's kind of a good breaking point because now we've left Herod's. We're going to go back to Pilate. So, I mean, there mm-hmm. is that. But next week, I guess, let's cut it. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.